Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk. This week I have Hannah from H Haunts Paranormal. We're going to talk about ghosts and we're going to talk about investigations and we're going to talk about all things a bit weird. Hello Hannah. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. It's all right. Uh, nice for you to come on. Uh, you're my first uh, Australian guest, I think. Wow, <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> so I, I, um, I think it's uh, quite cool because uh, I, uh, I wondered how the uh, ghost investigations and uh, all that go down, down under, how that, you know, how that happens. But I am a bit of a fan of uh, Amy's Crypt. Uh, and they do a lot of investigations and YouTube videos. So I thought, hey, I need to get uh, somebody who investigates the paranormal onto Paratalk. But before we jump way in to, uh, you know, what, what you get up to and stuff, how, how did you get into the paranormal? How did that happen? Well, I think I'm probably a good first Australian guest to have for you because I actually grew up in England. So uh, I lived in West Yorkshire for most of my childhood and then I moved to Australia when I was 12. So my ghost origins, my paranormal origins, are all based in England. So uh, a nice synchronicity for your show today. Did you kind of get into the paranormal when you were very young, or is this something sort of in recent years that you, you took an interest to? Yeah, my whole life. So I grew up in uh, Saltaire, which is a small town in Bradford, uh, up in the up in Yorkshire. And um, Saltaire is a old village from the 17, 1800s, uh, built by Titus Salt, and he had a fac textiles factory up there. And he built the town for all of his workers. Obviously, now that's just council housing and uh, regular housing, which is what we lived in. And uh, just two bedrooms, two rooms downstairs, kitchen, living room, and then, yeah, bathroom, two bedrooms upstairs, nothing too fancy. But when I was living there, I was about four at the time, and I had an imaginary friend called Honey. And he was a little boy. I can remember his little cap. He was a sepia-toned little boy, and that's why I called him Honey, because he was a similar colour. As an adult and talking to my family about it, in particular my mum and my nana, we've all come to the conclusion that there's too much detail there for it to have been imaginary. And we all had an interest in ghosts and spirit. Everything was validated for me from a young age. I was never told that's not real, don't worry about it. So I think it was just kind of a nurtured interest that I've had my whole life, especially starting in England. Yeah, interesting you pick up on the, you know, the imaginary friend. I actually had a conversation with a recent guest about imaginary friends. How did that come across when you were younger? Does it, was it kind of normal just to see someone? I never had one. I never had an imaginary friend. I had friends that had an imaginary friends and they used to get quite angry that I couldn't see them and I couldn't see anything. How, how did that work for you? I mean, was it kind of normal? Does it Was it frightening? He would come around in in the house as a shadow form and when he would come out of the shadows he would be a boy so I would see a shadow figure moving throughout the house and I'd just go oh that's honey that's honey and then honey would come out and then we would play I don't think I ever had friends that would come over and I'd be like oh this is honey I don't think that ever happened there was a clear distinction that this was something that I had this was a friend that I had that I didn't necessarily share with anyone else even though my parents knew, my parents never saw him. And he, I was told he was an imaginary friend for a long time, but it was in adulthood where we kind of realised, oh, probably not because of the details that I can still recall about that time. But yeah, he was a shadow figure that would then emerge basically as a, a young boy like I was. We were similar in size. He played with me, you know, we'd play hide and seek. And yeah, it was normal. Nothing was scary about it. Did you have any in-depth conversations? Did you ask any questions or... Were you just very childlike, just play ball or whatever? It was completely innocent. There was no um, questioning of what he was or anything like mm -hmm. that. I can't even recall a specific instance of, you know, even speaking. I just remember him being there and playing and there was, yeah, I can't remember anything in particular. Yeah. But it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you grow up, you get older and you have an interest in the paranormal. Did you find that that kind of sparked your interest and as you got older... What kind of motivated you to sort of leave the comfort of your home and go out into places that were allegedly haunted and investigate, basically? There were a couple of events that led up to uh, my seeking out answers, I suppose. Uh, before we left to Australia, we moved in with my aunt and she had a renovated church just next to Saltaire in a town called Bailden. And um, we lived in that renovated church. This was another 18th century uh, house and it was quite large this house had an original stone basement in it churches would have been used for everything that the towns needed obviously you would know that 
these old churches, these old buildings are just beautiful. And uh, this house had the cellar still intact with its original stone morgue table in it, uh, its original furnace down there. Everything was fully kept. The house was renovated around it, but the, the cellar itself was in really original condition. So going up with that also in mind, then moving countries. Obviously, there's a lot of emotional things happening during that time. There's a lot of hormonal things going on yeah. at that time. I'm a young girl moving across the world, leaving all of my family. There's a lot to be said about some of those experiences that I can probably now put down to you were going through some stuff and um, let's dismiss some of that paranormal activity. Things like I thought I saw shadows or thought I heard voices or lights would turn on and off. Can't really dispute that, but other things I can put to my thoughts racing a little bit. Uh, but when I came to Australia, uh, within the first uh, three years of being here, we lost eight family members. That was a big shock for someone who's moved countries. You're grieving for the old life you have, but you're also grieving for the actual loss of life that you've experienced mm. as well. But during that period, within the first year, I lost my nana. Now, she was everything to me. She was my best friend. I felt that loss really deeply. And obviously, this is on layered on top of all the hormonal things that a teenage girl, I'm now 13, is going through, especially starting high school. I'm sitting up in bed and I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping because of everything that's happening. I'm staring at my wall. I've just put my Game Boy away because I know my mum is going to be furious. It's probably 1am and she's yeah. going to come in <laughs> any minute. What are you doing? You've got school tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I tucked it away and I'm just staring at a, a wardrobe that I have in front of me. And this lady just came through my bedroom door. She didn't look at me. She just glided through to the window. She was just wisping through she stood at the window for a second or so and she turned back around and she went out the door she didn't open the door she just came through mm. the door but um there was undeniable to me what i'd seen i was so frightened that i vomited i didn't know what i had experienced i kind of had a bit of trauma associated with it because i was so scared yeah there was no doubt in my mind i wasn't asleep i just turned off my game boy I wasn't in a dream state or um, sleep paralysis or anything like that. I was fully alert, fully conscious, and I saw a woman enter my room, come to the foot of my bed, look out the window, and turn back around. So for months and months and months, I was going through this existential trauma yeah. of, oh, my God, I've seen a ghost. I didn't know what to say to people. People would be like, oh, you know, you just... You're going through some stuff. It was true. I was going through some stuff, but this was undeniable. I can still remember it to this day. It's still frightening to me. And I've still only a few times since then seen anything remotely similar, only once or twice since. But this really triggered me to, I regressed a lot. I didn't want anything to do with the paranormal. I was scared. Yeah. I was, I can't stress how scared I was because once you've seen something like that, a lot of things get brought up into your mind about life and death and and what what I actually was and whether I've got something wrong with me am I what am I experiencing I've never no people don't talk about this sort of stuff really my family have always acknowledged the existence of it but they've never said you're going to see ghosts at some point in your life so prepare yourself so <laughs> a couple <laughs> of years later I'm probably 15 or 16 now and I happen to catch an episode of uh, ghost hunters and I thought this is really testing my nerves here because it's been years since I've wanted to watch anything like this, but I watched it and I was actually completely fascinated with the equipment that they had, with their nerves of steel, yeah. with their experiences that they were able to go to these buildings and seek out the similar things that I've seen. They were interviewing people who had had full body apparitions in their homes, full body apparitions in their workplaces. And it was happening so frequently with, Obviously, that's what the episodes are aimed at. Yeah. And um, ever since then, since 15 or 16, I've never stopped looking for these answers just to explain what the hell have I experienced. These conversations have also been brought back up with my family, which is how we were able to discuss what honey was, able to discuss the things at my aunt's house that everyone else experienced as well, but obviously didn't relate to me because I was young and they didn't want to frighten me. Hmm. Um, I was able to relate the... When I moved to Australia, that story of the lady in my bedroom to my family and have this discussion. And that's really just fueled me as a paranormal investigator now to keep seeking more answers, just not only to validate the experience that I had initially, 
but to just keep on seeing what the hell is going on. There has to be something. So that's why I do it. Well, yeah, uh, I have to agree with you on that on that point because I think that everyone that tends to that I've spoken to, they have a an experience in their life that they just can't they can't explain. I'm quite logical. I, I will experience something and then I'll think, well, how can I explain that away in normal terms? And if I can't find an answer, then I'll just put it on the shelf of I don't know. Uh, I have been in buildings where I've had things happen to me and I've completely baffled as to what it is. And I used to do a lot of EVP work, a, a lot. And I had many months of not having anything happen. And then all of a sudden, uh, one night, I had two responses and they were so clear that you would think the person was stood in the room with you. And, and that moment, and that moment, scared me so much that I literally put all of my equipment away in a drawer and I never went back to it for about maybe it was multiple months it was maybe half a year I just didn't go back to it I didn't want to go back into that sort of open that door because I thought I'm now getting validation to something that is more than what I expect to happen because you watch all right you watch all these tv shows like ghost hunters and ghost i mean i come from the era of uh i mean i remember all the 70s shows uh you know arthur c Clarke and and all those and i remember the that we had the different versions like strange but true and and they were i loved all those kind of shows and then you kind of went up to like version 2.0 where ghost hunters came and it changed the bar totally it you know you had this live investigation where these ghost hunters would go into these places and yeah i mean i'll be honest they are edited to make that like that things happen uh you know every every few minutes there's crazy stuff going on coat hangers flying around and plate smashing and stuff and and you've been to <laughs> yeah. haunted locations and you know that sometimes you can go into a building and you can sit there all night nothing will happen or you might what was that noise and then that's it and nothing after that you just eat all your sandwiches and then you go home so yeah i mean they are kind of made in a way because it's it's tv it's and two people want to be entertained but um, the, the point I'm saying is that I think that you have to have something in your life to happen that motivates you to move on to the next step. So when did you decide that, you know, you had an interest in the paranormal, you'd had experiences uh, with maybe an, you know, you witnessed an apparition or something, a, a, a playback from a past event or something like that. For what point did you think I need to go out and start going to places investigating? Did, did, did the TV shows kind of motivate you to do that? Yeah, they did. Absolutely. Um, I didn't realize that I'd seen a residual haunting uh, until I did start to do more research yeah. and understand what um, these shows were trying to portray. Um, it is frustrating as an investigator to actually see these shows get something every single investigation. Yeah. <laughs> I do say now, you know, 99% of the time ghost hunting is sitting in a dark room waiting for something to happen. Yep. But it's that 1% of the time that something does happen that really, really keeps me coming back. It really, truly is just a waiting game sometimes. And you can't force it. You can't judge what a night's going to be like. Some nights when I think it's going to be quiet, I'll get a really good EVP. And other nights, uh, I think things feeling a bit charged and there's flat lines. There's nothing happening. But what really provoked me to uh, investigate was actually when I came back to England. So I came back to England in 2013 to visit. I'd never been back since we moved. Yeah. And um, I'd seen some of the, obviously I, we've been talking about that. I'd seen some of the shows and I thought in particular, um, I was really interested in Most Haunted. The way that they do their show, even though they've been caught to fake it numerous yeah. times, I think it's interesting how they had their base camp. They had their historian live on set. And I'd seen an episode done at the vaults in Edinburgh. And I'd also seen that Ghost Adventures had done a similar thing. And um, they'd got some really interesting evidence. So while I was in Scotland visiting, I wanted to do it. I thought, I've got the nerve now. I'm back where it all began. It's almost a full circle event. Let's go and do some ghost hunting while I'm in the motherland. Let's do it. Uh, I took my partner and we both didn't really know what to expect. We'd never done a history tour, never mind a ghost hunt. So this was really, really daunting. We went underground into the vaults. We had some pretty cool experiences, some rocks thrown, um, more of a personal experience where we were experiencing extreme heat, but it's underground in Scotland. Yeah. It's not, that doesn't happen. Um, later to be told that there was a, a large fire in that vault. 
I would say that's about as sensitive as I've ever been. I'm, I'm not a sensitive or a, a psychic or a medium or anything like that. But that still to me was unexplainable because I experienced what I experienced that night. And um, it really was a good intro because I wasn't too frightened. It was a, like testing the waters a little bit to see what was acceptable for the older heart to, to handle. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what, how far can I push this? And then um, once I realized we were safe, everything was all good, I can handle this fear and adrenaline. Uh, when I came back to Australia within six months, I'd done two more. I'd done an asylum and a prison here and I never stopped ever since then. I just kept searching more and more because it, it's not only an adrenaline thing, you know, when you're seeking the, you're in a high fear, highly tense environment, especially yeah. when you're associating past traumatic events with actually personally going out and seeking these things. Mm -hmm. There is yeah. a bit of a mind game that plays with you about that. But um, I never stopped. Still now. <laughs> I was going to. I'm not as scared anymore, though. Okay. So I, I was going to ask you um, regarding your investigations. How do you work with an investigation? Now, I know that some people prefer to go out and with a group of people and everybody's got their job and everybody does their thing. Somebody's maybe in charge of sound. Somebody's in charge of setting up, you know, traps. Or How, how do you work? Do you, are you the kind of person that likes to go out just and be alone? Or do you like to go out with a small team of people? Or do you like a large group of people? Do you feel that more people kind of can, can energize the area more and maybe get something to happen? Or... Are you, you know, do you just prefer to go out and do your own thing? I am a skeptic first and a believer second. Mm -hmm. And I only believe because I've had events. Because of that, I like to keep things as localized as possible and as small as possible. You never know if you're going with a bigger group, a larger group, what someone else is planning or thinking or maybe just innocently has interfered with something that you've set up. Even if it's deliberate, you won't know. So... I really do prefer to be alone or with a team of maximum four um, just so that we can have validation of evidence that does occur. So multiple people witness or see something or hear something at the same time, um, but also to eliminate that external factor that someone else could be manipulating the situation, could be tampering with the situation. And it also helps you really debunk a situation, especially someone could say, I saw something. Oh, well, I'll just go quickly check outside and make sure no one's out there or I'll go and quickly recreate this and see if I can get the light to cast in the same way and try and work through it. When you've got too many people or too few people, those things are really hard to recreate. So I personally, yeah, I'll either be alone as a duo or with four people maximum. If I'm taking groups and introducing them to locations, yeah. which is what I do now, I work for a company and we do that, uh, we can take up to 30 people, but I generally don't validate um, the experiences that we have on those tours, just because I personally can't prove that no one else has interfered with any of the evidence that we're capturing. So if you experience something, that's awesome. That's your experience. But I personally cannot say without a doubt or without doing any testing to say that that was a paranormal event. We try and keep that that as a, more of a fun activity rather than a serious investigation. But we, I do both, but I prefer the smaller personally if I'm doing it. That's good. Uh, I like your thought process regarding being a little bit sceptic and trying to look at the logical side of things. I think that if you a little bit of scepticism does help when you investigate. If someone just says, oh, that was definitely grandma. That was grandma that came back. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can't just go down that road. You have to say, right, well, what could it have been? And then when you try all the answers that don't fit and then you put it on the shelf of, well, I don't know what it was. And it's unexplained. But there are a lot of things that people don't necessarily realize that they're ignoring, such as the matrixing event mm -hmm. uh, effect. Sorry. Yeah. So when you look at a photo and you've got uh, trees in the air, for example, our brain is trying to detect something out of that. Yeah. So our brain's trying to look for faces because this is our natural danger response. This is how we respond quickly to things by recognizing what danger is. This is just a primitive Neanderthal trait we have. So when we look at photos and someone goes, oh, can you see there's like 19 faces in this photo? I'll say, no, all I can see is shadows on a tree or all I can see is dust on a window. You really have to, if you're not there, take it with a grain of salt. And if you are there, you've really got to look. Is that light casting through some net curtains that's displaying a whole 
shadow play on the wall? Is there a flash that has triggered off some glass that is then projecting a lens flare or or something like that? Is the orbs, which I don't really uh, believe in too well, because I just think there's so much there that it could be other than a spirit. Is there a is there a true lens flare? Is there dust? Is there bugs? Is there something that you're picturing in the air that is not that is not paranormal? And mm. I think 99% of the time it is always explainable. And that's I find it very frustrating actually when I get sent photos. I'm not I'm always happy to have a chat, but when I offer you an explanation and say, I think you should consider the matrixing effect. I think you should consider that well, how was this photo set up? Was there someone else in the field? Was there someone else around you? Did you take three photos in succession? Did you, are you actually aiming to have valid evidence here? Or do you just want me to tell you what you want to hear that you've caught a ghost? Because I need, to, <laughs> I'm doing this for my own validation and my own evidence collecting. And I think a lot of people don't consider those things. I think people just so badly want to prove that they've had an experience and seen an experience that they don't look for the explanation sometimes. And I think that's what my job is as well, is to explain that to people, that there are other causes in this world that will do that. Yeah, uh, I totally uh, agree with you 100% on that. And I can attest to that from personal experience. I had a, um, my, my father passed away quite a number of years ago now, but I used to care for him for about a couple of years. And after he died, uh, it was only a matter of days after he died, I clearly heard him call my name while I was in my bedroom, sat up in bed, completely wide awake. And I heard him call my name like he was in the room. So, and yeah. I'm thinking to myself, did I just imagine that? Is that some sort of brain mechanism going on there to make me, to kind of comfort me? Or is is he actually floating above my head? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I've had, and, but I, I'm, I'm not going to say, well, that was definitely my dad that came back. But I am going to say, I don't know what that was. I'm not going to say it was nothing because it's something. But as to what that is, I don't know. Moving on a little bit because you've got me intrigued now. Sure. When you when <laughs> when you go to uh, your investigations, what is one of them that really stand out that actually really did frighten you and made you think, I don't know if I should be doing this. You know, I shouldn't be here. I should be at home on the sofa watching telly. Yeah, there was one location in particular, um, which was an asylum. It's called Beechworth Asylum in Victoria, uh, which is South Australia. Not South Australia, that's its own state, but it, Victoria is the bottom of Australia. Yeah, it's one of three asylums that we have here in Victoria that you can visit. Closed down in the 1990s. This building, the amount of death that occurred here is unfathomable. It's not a building that you walk into and you think it's welcoming you automatically get that sense of dread, sense of fear. Yeah. I've like, sorry, I've investigated here about, um, I'm going to say over 30 times, like a lot. But there was once in particular that really, I stopped investigating for about a year after this event because it shook me up quite a bit. I'd been there uh, a month earlier and my it was just my partner, myself, and the guide of the company who was running those tours at the time. We'd booked it out privately uh, just, like I explained, it's just how I like to do things. We were in the men's criminally insane ward. It's called Gravilia. And we were sitting on the floor just having a small EVP session. Uh, no other equipment except for a voice recorder. Uh, we're having this session. And then all three of us hear like scurrying, like a weird metallic, like just like a rat scurrying around noise. But it's a pretty well-maintained building. We would have liked to have seen a rat opposed to what we actually saw. Um, we saw like an, uh, a creature thing on the, the roof um, of the building. If I hadn't have seen this with my own eyes, and I can hear how I sound. I know what this story sounds like. Um, but it was just moving with really elongated movement. Just a strange, strange thing. All three of us, none of us responded in any other way other than leaving because we couldn't comprehend what we'd seen. I know, I study, um, I'm a fourth year psychology student, so I know that we can hallucinate. Yeah. Um, I wasn't under the influence of anything. I was very tired though. Um, that could be the explanation of what I saw, but I can't explain what the other two saw at the same time. Um, I know that when we're awake, obviously we can experience sleep paralysis yeah. and we can see things while we're still in a dream state. I wasn't paralyzed. 
I wasn't in a sleep-wake cycle because I was fully awake. I could have been hallucinating just from stress, fear, anxiety, a hormonal distribution imbalance that was going on because of all of those factors. And I was very tired. It's about a four and a half hour drive from my home. And then I had to drive back to... Blimey. So there were lots of factors involved of what I could have seen, but not for what the other two said that they saw as well. So that event really frightened me. But I came back four weeks later, approximately, with a group of 15. And I was just... It was just meant to be a fun investigation. This is one of the most haunted buildings in Australia. This is one of the most haunted buildings I've ever been to. People get interested about that. They want to see what you experience. Um, So, yeah, I took this group up there and pretty normal night. We were doing a 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. sleep over there. And we don't sleep. That's the whole point. You've got Mm. 12 hours in this haunted building. None of you are sleeping. We're having a good night. (laughs) So, yeah, we got to about a quarter to four in the morning. I'd say-ish, by the time that this event unfolds. But this company were holding a straitjacket challenge at that time. I'm not about that. Don't want to be strapped up in a straitjacket, thank you. I've experienced some of my own things and I don't need that thrill. But if you want to, I'm happy to oblige and put you in that situation yourself. That's (laughs) fine. So I did that. We put him in the straitjacket. And this building is Grevillea again. So this was the same building that I saw this elongated creature thing. I'd left him in there. and then. As I'm leaving the room, it's quite a long room because these would have been wards, basically, wards where people would just have bed by bed by bed. We've left him in there. We've locked the door behind him, locking the doors. But as I'm doing it, he was the kind of person that would say something happened if it didn't, uh, even if it didn't. Uh, He's the kind of person that would have said that he heard this or that. So what I did is I put a voice recorder on the floor, pitch black. He would not have seen me. And to this day, I believe he never saw me because... When I showed him the evidence that I collected afterwards, he was amazed. I genuinely don't didn't hear any footsteps leading up to the recorder either. He was still on the floor when we went back in the building because he needed assistance getting up because he was in the straitjacket. But I did it primarily to capture him faking anything. Yeah. I then left through, took the rest of the group out, but two girls said that they wanted to stay in the building. I'm more than happy for that to happen. Um, it's still public ground, so anyone could be around. So for his safety... I was happy to leave two of them in the building. We left them in a surgical unit and they were sitting on an autopsy table facing each other. So they were face to face. Uh, we went to the next building and left them all. So about 40 minutes later, uh, we were in this next building, which is also a men's criminally insane ward. And we're having some poltergeist activity, which is still quite scary in itself. We had a table shove out from us. Wow, you've got about, you got 12 witnesses to this. This was unbelievable. And I'm thinking, I was so happy. But again, I couldn't, uh, explain, I couldn't prove that it wasn't anyone else in the group. I was just trying to enjoy the moment and yeah. just say, wow, this is some pretty cool activity that we're having, if it's valid. When we all just hear this gut-wrenching scream, like this is the loudest scream I've ever heard. I, I thought someone had been hurt. Like I thought someone had broken into the building. Um, I genuinely thought someone was hurt. We ran over there. We're unlocking, frantically unlocking this door. Like, oh my God, I should never have locked them in. Like, this is stupid. The girls are knocking on the door, let, let us out, let us out, let us out. Let the girls out and they run to their cars. They, they're done. They don't want to be there anymore. I get the go in and I have to let get the guy up because he's sat on the floor in this straitjacket and he goes, I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. I get the recorder up off the floor. I put it in my pocket. That's, I didn't even review anything. I was, yeah. You know, we're all a bit shaken up. Not only have we experienced some poltergeist activity, but the screams that we heard, you don't hear every day. It's quite confronting. I get the girls though, and I say to them, I need to know what happened. If there's someone in the building, because I heard some, someone was there, someone was there. I said, if there's someone in the building, I need to know because I need to go and make sure no one's locked in there, no one's vandalizing, mm. no no homeless people, for example, are going to be in that building. So we went back, a couple of us just did a sweep of the building, no one to be seen, come out and the girls say, okay, so we were sitting face to face. Then we saw this woman, she came out of a cell, a room, she came down the corridor and she just come running at us. And then the girls screamed. Uh, that's pretty confronting to have to see an experience, an apparition mm. coming at you. Like, that's quite terrifying. This uh, guy in the other room, he would have had visual of that corridor, but he said he didn't see anything and he didn't hear anything until the girls screamed. I left it for a couple of weeks because, like I mentioned before, it's quite exhausting to travel when you're doing these four and a half oh, hour bet, away. Yeah. 12 hour overnight and come back. And then, you know, you work in between that. So you've got to recover mentally as well as physically. 
And I thought, oh, I better, better check this uh, voice recorder because after all that, it might have just been him doing a little bit of a running down up this corridor. Checking it, checking it. Nothing. Can't hear anything until we hear this really loud scream. So there's one really long scream for about three seconds long. But after that, you hear the girls scream. So there's one really loud scream and then the girls scream. So there's one girl facing the corridor that she says she sees this woman. She screams. Then within a second, the other girl looks around and she also screams. It's three separate movements, but no one in that building and not us heard that first scream. That first scream is just an EVP. So they said that they didn't hear any noise. They just saw the apparition running at them. He certainly didn't hear anything and it was in the same room as him. I know that through the audio waves, it's a dictation recorder. And when you're speaking clearly, it's blue. And when you're too close, it goes red. And the screen is in full red, which means it's pretty much on top of this recorder. It couldn't have been anywhere else. And you can see the girls' screams on this um, dictation recorder too in the audio bars. They're small blue bars, which means that they're further away. So that's how I know that they were in the same room as the recorder. I just think when I caught this evidence, and I'm happy to share with you too if you would like to put it on the show or yeah yeah i'd like to listening. um yeah i'll um if you send it to me i'll tag it on to the episode so that uh um, yeah. listeners can can get very scared as well yeah but it's it's the girls react the girls don't the thing is if they were reacting to a scream they would be screaming on top of this scream because mm. no one goes wait for that to finish and then scream yeah whereas theirs is a very they they're their reactions, their screams, their fear matches up with their story of one person saw it, saw it, screamed, and then the other person looked around to see what she was screaming at, saw it, and also screamed because the timing is just so perfect. Yeah. So that while that event didn't happen to me personally, having to hear those screams multiple times calm these women down who were absolutely beside themselves. I've never seen someone so frightened, even my own self having experienced what I've experienced. And then finding that EVP later and trying to put all these pieces together to say categorically that I know no one was in that building because it was a experiment that I set up to catch someone faking and that I actually caught an event that I've never been able to replicate. I've never caught anything like it since. It was a one-off paranormal event that I captured and I am so proud of it, but also it's terrifying but it keeps me going because I just think, what if I capture something like that again? Maybe I could set something similar up and it'll happen again. <laughs> Maybe I'll see the apparition this time. That's, I don't know. That's why I keep going back. So the asylums are um, not to be messed with. They are very interesting buildings full of history mm. and ghosts. I do find it interesting older buildings that have had trauma in and had a lot of uh, asylums and uh, workhouses, places like that. I remember many years ago I went to a obviously you you well know from where you where you come from there's a lot of workhouses in in the midlands the middle part of England with the industrial revolution uh I was quite fortunate when I was at school I studied uh, social and economic history and with with that came a lot of field trips and we went to a lot of the because obviously I I was studying basically the Industrial Revolution. We went to a lot of workhouses and there are a few, you know, in the middle part of England, the Midlands and stuff, which are brought back to life. They basically uh, made them as they looked, you know, back in the 18th century and earlier. So it it's kind of like, I remember going to one of them and they have all the looms there. It's all kind of replicated and stuff. It's not the original, but... They have small, the small areas where up to eight people, maybe sometimes 12 people, a family would live. And it's literally, it's a cubicle. And you'd think, well, how do all these people get in here? Well, not all of those people get in there because, uh, you know, most people are, are, some of them are working and some of them are eating and then the rest sleep and then they kind of share this space. And I think to myself, when I went there, not only could I feel, I'm not saying I'm a psychic or I'm a, I'm sensitive. I think we're all sensitive. Well, I think we're all sensitive to a degree. 
I think as the more you open your mind to this, the more sensitive you do 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 become to the surroundings of what's going on. And I do remember going at this time. Yeah, this time I was a teenager. I was kind of getting into the paranormal and I, I i was into the paranormal ufos and that my dad was a ufo investigator and and he was a member of uh before and he did all his ufo stuff and that's what got me hooked because i had a sighting back in the 80s with him and my friend and it, it kind of all got me into the, like the paranormal i got into arthur c clark hooked on arthur c clark's mysterious world and I watched all those and the unexplained magazine and i i ate all that stuff up but I remember going to this building, this workhouse, an absolutely ginormous place. And I just felt weird. I just felt like you could feel that that people there were not... Whoever had been there, if you were there, it wouldn't have been a very happy place. And I know that's quite logical to think if you're a destitute and you've got nowhere to live, you're going to end up in the, in, in, in the workhouse doing, you know, cleaning co- uh, wool from from looms which is an incredibly dangerous drop job and you can die from it but i think it's just a feeling it's like when you go to older buildings older castles and and manor houses and you know places where people generations upon generations of people lived and died and uh, had arguments and and all that stuff and and you think you you get that feeling it's just a feeling of of history of of past events and um what what i was going to ask you uh, going on from what you've just said what's your thoughts on the emotions the the people emotions of uh imprinting on a place on a on a, a building or the land or, or an area How, do you think that that's a, po- a plausible thing to think that we as human beings are able to it, and if there's enough of us and it's and it's traumatic enough that we can emotionally imprint on an area the logical part of me says no because science can't really explain that and um it's hard to explain what emotions are and feelings are in general anyway because everyone has their own individual experiences of those things so it's a shared experience but it's deeply deeply personal i do lend to the stone tape theory however in that buildings that are made of natural stone and natural materials can absorb energies and that's from experience. That is from purely living and breathing in these buildings and investigating opposed to buildings that are more modern. Yes, traumatic events can happen no matter where they are. But I find in general, these buildings that are made of, in Australia, we have a lot of bluestone buildings, which is just huge stone slabs. Um, but in England, you've got a lot of limestone, a lot of sandstone buildings. Yeah, quartz, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. We know that these minerals have energy sources in them. Yep. And we know that they can be stored and we know that, well, a lot of people believe that they possess their individual energies. If that is true, in a sense, and you're creating large buildings out of these materials, are they not working like a little battery storage system? That Giant, if, yeah. if there are spirits out there that can communicate, uh, are they taking their energy from these sources? I tend to believe... Well, I can't prove it and I can't explain it. If that is what's happening, it makes more sense for that to be the case. And I do experience a lot more in these buildings, paranormal-wise, more regularly, regularly, sorry, than I do in buildings that are more modern cement sort of flat pack buildings. Yeah. Um, that's not to say, though, that individual items aren't haunted or individual people aren't necessarily haunted. So I've come across that before where, you've moved into a new home there's nothing around it that suggests that it's haunted yeah but people have moved in and they've had spirits follow them from location to location and you have to assess the situation holistically and go well maybe it's not the house maybe it's something you own or maybe it's you yourself have you had a a, had a cleanse or have you you know known that you've had something attached to you or or something along those nature so i think there is an explanation in that spiritual realm we have that sense of, in humans, you know, we've got that sixth sense about us where we can walk into a room and know someone's just had a fight. Or oh, we yeah. can walk into a room oh, yeah. <laughs> and see, oh, what, who's been laughing? Like, what's going on in here? We have that sense among us when we're alive. Why don't, why wouldn't we have that sense when we walk into a building and even just knowing a little bit about the history, you feel that sense of threat or you feel that sense of uh, sadness or, or something like that. I have experienced that myself where I've had a little bit of an empathic response in that I feel 
emotional for no reason in the building or I'm not a very emotional person. I don't think I'm, I'm pretty calculated and pretty logical about things. So when I go into a building and I start crying, I'm like, well, this is not, this yeah. is not me. This is not normal. I can't explain those events. Uh, there's a lot about the paranormal world and the, the whole field of uh, investigating that is unexplained. Even though you're having these experiences, and I personally have had a lot of these experiences that I'm still like, well, I can't say it's a ghost. I can't say it's paranormal, but it's certainly not something I've ever experienced before. Uh, that happens a lot. And I do wonder if it is the actual buildings themselves that have had such trauma on them. That would impact a human. So how can it not impact energy? If, if it's there in the material makeup of the building or not. Mm. That's what I think. Okay, so I'm going to go do a 360 on you now and completely flip this conversation around because I really want to I really want to uh, get your uh, feedback on life after death and uh, out-of-body experiences. Uh, I, I know that uh, it's very hard to... <laughs> We've not experienced them. Well, I haven't. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say that I am a great fan of uh, Anthony Peake and his writings on uh, life after death and what we could possibly be experiencing. Uh, one of his theories is that uh, at the moment of uh, death, uh, that we, uh, the point where we just about to, you know, disappear, uh, that our consciousness slips out of time and that we basically relive our whole life again. Uh, and that one of the, he calls it the cheating the ferryman. And that uh, where we have this whole life experience again, because like one minute could last a hundred years when we're not, you know, not in any time, when we're nowhere. Uh, we're just experiencing this whole event again. Uh, when we have events like deja vu in our life and we think, oh, that's happened before. It actually has happened before, but because you're living your life slightly differently this time, that those events you have memories of, but you don't directly, you know, you you have a kind of a, you're kind of front loaded that you your 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 subconscious knows it's gonna gonna happen. What are your thoughts on of all of this kind of where people have had, uh, you know, an out of body experience or they've had a a near death experience and they come back and they tell a story and they say, well, I went here or I went there. Uh, what were what your your thoughts on all of this 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 giant subject again i lie more in the logical side of things and i think that is my educational background in psychology and in learning how our brain responds to traumatic events we do know that when we are passing away we get a large amount of hormones flush our brains we know that that is done as a a relaxing effect in a sense, um, that's why people say they live flash before their eyes. It's a, a hormone release in our bodies to help us, A, not feel pain, uh, B, go into a relaxing state so that we don't hurt ourselves if we are about to have impact or something along those lines. We also know that while we can't explain deja vu, we're pretty sure it's just a brain delay. So while we think that um, we've experienced that event, actually our other senses have already seen that happening. Our eyes have seen it, our our ears have heard it, our noses have smelt it, but our brains actually just not had that connection yet. So we, in experience, in a sense, sorry, experience that twice, and that's the deja vu effect. But that's not proven. That's just a theory. I also believe that about the the other events. So I I believe that out of body experiences. I think people discredit sleep paralysis a lot. I think can explain a lot, especially for people who have experienced trauma and traumatic events. If they've experienced something that they their brains don't know how to cope with, they don't, and not just their brains, but actually your emotional intelligence, you don't know how to respond to that. Your brain can create scenarios for you to help you try and understand that. And that's often through fear. So our fear our senses get triggered. Uh, what, what are we the most scared of? And that can often manifest out of us. And a lot for a lot of people, that's dying and passing away. We're, mm. we're scared of that. So when they do have these out-of-body experiences, um, I do think it's probably more explained in a chemical hormonal way and there's just really no way of proving that and there never will be because you can't it's not ethical to put someone in that position to where they're almost yeah. about to die and you're <laughs> going to study that it just won't ever it just won't ever unfortunately be proven but that's where I personally lie in that field having had traumatic events as well um, like 
like seeing that apparition. I'm not saying that's like some other trauma that other people have experienced, but I certainly know that my body reacted in a way that was still to this day unmatched with anything else I've ever seen. And I do think I'm a bit analytical about it, but I also think I have to be because I do look for ghosts all day, every day. So if I was validating every experience, I don't think that would have hold a lot of credit to me and my research. Mm. Um, I hope that didn't let you down too much. I'm not religious either, so I don't really uh, weigh towards that side. I can't explain things as a soul. I can't explain things um, heaven or hell or or past life or anything like that. It does hold me in a little bit of a bind as to what ghosts actually are because I don't know. Um, I don't know how I can walk into a building and have a spirit say my name. I don't know how and get it on EVP. I don't know how I can get these EVPs responding intelligently to questions that I'm asking or just I noticed that you commented on an EVP I posted last week just commenting on the fact that something looked sparkly like how is that happening in 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 a room I don't understand I don't have the answers and that's why I keep doing it because I I need to know more as well I need to know I, I don't know if I ever will know but I'm really enjoying that process of trying to work it out and just the challenge of it if I can contribute not point not not one percent towards this field of proving that something does exist, then it's not been for nothing. And even if it's just my own validation, I'm okay with that too. I don't mind. Yeah, I, I, no, I I'm uh, quite happy with your your answer because I think that everybody's answer is quite valid because everybody has an opinion, and uh, it's kind of like it's cool to listen to everybody's feedback and everybody's input. And and it would be pretty boring if everybody had just agreed with everything and said, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll go along with what she said. So it's uh, it'd be a bit, you know, it'd be a bit boring. So it's nice to have different people's opinions and feedback because that's what sort of furthers uh, the field of investigation. Because from that you can get new ideas and new ways to sort of look at uh, unexplained phenomenon. So as we've come to the end of this podcast, I do have one final closing question. I'd like to ask you if you um, have ever ventured to investigate UFOs. I looked into what possibly Bigfoot could be or any other phenomenon or are you kind of just want to stick to the sort of ghost stuff? I'm completely open to having any paranormal experience, whether that be UFOs or cryptids or um, elemental spirits or anything like that. However, um, I think there's a lot to learn about the spirit realm and the ghost realm that I'm sort of already looking at. And I feel like you can be a little bit of an expert in too many things sometimes. So if those events happen to me, I welcome welcome them. But uh, I think I just want to personally focus my research in the one area um, and just learn as much as I can about one thing rather than learning lots about lots of things because yeah. I think it will take away from the fact that I really want to focus on uh, ghost hunting and, and learning more about that side of things. But I don't invalidate um UFO sightings or, or Bigfoot sightings or anything like that. If that's what people put their passions into and their time into, go for it. <laughs> I think that's great. you got to do what's right for you. I can't invalidate those experiences at all. So what are your plans for 2022 when it comes to your investigations? Have you got any uh, places lined up that you really think I definitely need to go there this year? I've done a few, actually. I've just done nine investigations in six weeks, so I'm pretty tired. <laughs> um I did a gold mine a couple of weeks ago, which has been on my bucket list for a long time. I don't know if you've ever been in a gold mine, but it's pretty daunting. You a hear about mine. it a lot, but once you're actually, yeah, like a, an actual gold mine. I've been in a tin mine, mine but yeah, not like... a gold mine. Oh, that's awesome. It's um, it's not what you think it is. Well, it is, but it's not. It's still a bit more scary and a bit more daunting than you actually realize that these people went yeah, 20 minutes underground like every day. Yeah, just it, to get to where they go insane. to work, yeah. Yeah, kind of scary. Um, I'm doing uh, guided tours weekly um, with the company that I work for, which is Lantern Ghost Tours. If anyone wants to come along, you are welcome to. Um, we do around local suburbs of Melbourne. We just go to ha- haunted hotspots and um, yeah, investigate. You'll have someone like myself, or you'll have another investigator. But we're all really passionate about it, and um, I've got a quite quite a few homesteads coming up, which I really look forward to. I got some really awesome evidence last night alone in one of the homestead, homesteads, which was quite uh, scary, a bit challenging mentally to hear something like that when you're alone. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'd love to get back to the asylums this year at some point. 
we'll just have to see what happens. Um, I've not got anything big planned. There's a big homestead in uh, Juni. It's called Monte Cristo. I'd love to get up there. Uh, again, that's about seven hours drive though. So it's logistically a bit hard when you work full time, study full yeah. time and ghost hunt. <laughs> that's the problem. That's the problem. It's uh, when there's I'm always lot... open. If anyone in Australia wants to go, you can let me know. Anyway, Hannah, thank you very much for coming on uh, Paratalk. It, uh, it's been very interesting, a very interesting conversation with lots of topics that, uh, that we touched on. Send me over that EVP and I'm going to attach it to the end of this episode. Any final words before we, uh, before we uh, close the, the episode? I just thank you so much for having me on. And if you are an investigator out there or you're getting into it, just remember, be a skeptic first and a believer second. You always can try and find the, uh, the proof, but you've got to debunk everything and make sure you're doing everything properly. That's my my word of warning but thank you for having me on so much you're quite welcome you're quite welcome and i'm sure at some point you'll be back again Uh, i like to have guests returning so i like to catch up and especially with the uh the amount of uh, investigating you're doing i'm sure that uh, you're gonna have lots more to talk about anyway so i'd love to i've got hundreds of stories (laughs) excellent (laughs) excellent that's quite all right anyway until next time uh thanks for listening so before i play this evp i just wanted to jump in here and let you know If you're wearing headphones, you might want to turn them down or you might want to turn your speakers down. It's quite loud and uh, you might want to sleep with the lights on. See you next episode.